Hi, this is Cameron. And I'm Jorge Luis. And today we have Brenda Martinez. We are so excited to hear her new story, so let's start now. Hopecast. Learning about the life and mission of education equals hope. Welcome to the Education What's Up podcast. I'm Cameron Graham Vivanco. And I am Jorge Luis Rodriguez. I'm the co-founder of Equals Age and the director of the program here in Ecuador. And I am the coordinator of teams and training for Equals Age in Ecuador as well. Ecuador is where we work, but Education Equals Hope exists to provide for the education of students in desperate and difficult situations. And our main goal is for this podcast to keep everybody informed as to what is happening with our ministry here in the country. Because we could not do it without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Thank Absolutely, you. Absolutely, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Um, we are thrilled to have a special guest today. Woohoo! Our special guest. Um, is well known, I'd say probably to half of, at least half of our listeners. She's kind of famous. She's been on the podcast uh, a couple times before, but welcome back to Brenda Martinez. Yay! Hi guys, so happy Hi, to be Brenda. here today. Thank you. Um, Brenda, so everyone can remember who you are. Um, we had the privilege, well, you uh, are from Comité del Pueblo, which is where the Episcopal Church Cristo Liberador is. And when in that church you had, or maybe still have, I don't know, the nickname of Reverend, Reverend, Reverend Brenda. Reverendo, Reverenda Brenda. Although she was, uh, what, you were 18, 19 when you got yeah, that nickname? Yeah, I think it was 17. 17 yeah. when you got the nickname <laughs> Reverendo. Um. Uh, and that is because you were so involved in the parish there that uh, people went to you for the answers when they couldn't find Reverend Lordless. <laughs> <laughs> True. I was there all the time. And you, uh, that summer, uh, you hosted teams with Equals Age. At that point, we were still connected with KetoQuest. And so you got to host teams. And in the middle of one of those teams... Uh, the Holy Spirit started moving in all sorts of interesting ways. And a group of women from Upper South Carolina approached me and said, hey, could we help Brenda complete her dream of going to nursing school? And that way she won't have to get a job outside. She can still volunteer full-time in the church and still be Rebbe Brenda. And she can get her nursing degree. Is that true? Is that, is, is that the right story? It is true. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, all of that's true. The last time we had you on, you finished how many semesters of nursing school? Uh, eight semesters. Eight semesters, and you were about to embark on something called... Rural. <laughs> that is kind of like a rural uh, practical period. Rural. I was rural. waiting for them to say that so they yeah. could do it correctly with the rolling of the R's. Rural. Rural. And, and that is when the government 
Uh, you explain it, Brenda. Uh-huh. Uh, so the rural is kind of like a, I'll say, residency slash internship that all of nurses, doctors, uh, dentists, and a lot of other uh, professionals who are involved in the medical field are required to do, like it's mandatory for the government for you to do like a year of service in a rural area. <laughs> Uh, somewhere remote. Most of the places, it could be anywhere in Ecuador, it could be in the coast, it could be in the highlands, in the jungle, or sometimes even some people get to go to the Galapagos. Um, You work in a hospital, but some... Most of the people get to work in a small free clinic, uh, providing small free clinic, free clinic, okay. like just a public yeah. health clinic. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's provided by the government. Okay. It is provided by the government, uh, and there are these remote clinics that are uh, located in remote, remote places uh, for people who don't have access to to health. So, so what you're telling me is that Educational's Hope got to support the. The health needs of a rural population because we get to work alongside you. Yes. Good job, us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had never thought of it that way. Okay, sorry, back to you. Mm-hmm. So you graduated, and then you had to wait a number of months for them to tell you where your mm-hmm. rural was yes. going to be. And it's so interesting because it all happens between Christmas and New Year's. Yes. And then you're supposed to, like, show up to work on January 2nd yeah. in a new town. Tell us about that process. Uh, it was kind of stressful at first because I didn't know what to expect. Uh, it was a lot of paperwork for sure. Uh, graduated uh, from nursing school in the summer of 2021. Then I had to take the boards. I uh, wrote a thesis. Like, I did a bunch of stuff before getting my diploma. And then you have to take um, kind of, like, or. NCLEX for the nurses who know this. I'm sorry, say that again? NCLEX. Okay. Which is like I'm the board. I'm not boards. supposed to know what that word is. Yeah, it's okay. it's, it's the boards for nurses in the U.S., which okay. you get your license after you pass your exam. Okay. So I took my boards here, got my license, and then started the process of like going to this uh, internship, this rural. Uh, and within the following three months, I knew where I was placed. And yeah, since then, it was an adventure to try to... Uh, you know, go to the place that I was located at. So where did you get sorted to? I ended up going to a small town called Huamote, which is in a province of Riobamba, of Chimborazo, near the city of Riobamba, which is like six hours south from Quito. Okay. Yeah. So I was placed in this place. I was placed in this place. You were assigned. Assigned in this place. place. Thank you. For those who don't know, this uh, English is my second language. Which is really so. frustrating <laughs> because her English is better than mine. And she knows words that yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like that bored <laughs> word. <laughs> True. Uh, but yeah, I ended up uh, serving in Wamote for a whole year. Uh it was kind of stressful and a new adventure to figure out what this town looked like. And uh, this is the first time that you've ever lived on your own. This yeah. is the first time you've ever lived outside your parents' home. Yes. It because was the university first time. is a different different monster here. It is, yeah. It's a different system here. Uh, so it was um, interesting. I had to find a small uh, room slash small apartment where I was going to be uh, living for a whole year. Um, but yeah, we found a place. It was close uh, to the clinic that I was uh, working at. So it was just a walkable distance of like five minutes, which mm-hmm. was not bad. Uh, but yeah, it was good. So how many in, so you're 
six hours bus ride from Quito mm-hmm. into Riobamba, and then Riobamba is out to Guamote is another 45 minutes. Another an hour, hour, yeah. Another hour out to Guamote. How many people lived in the city of Guamote? And then, because it's, we actually have an equals age site in Guamote as well. Um, and it's all like rural um, with any of, uh, our listeners know Padre Eulogio. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't taken teams out there for a long time simply because it's so so far, far away from Quito. Away. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, but it's um, Guamote is like the center of the county. It's like uh-huh. the county uh-huh. seat, and then it's really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful rural. But there are, I mean, talk about old timey farms. Um, just lots of places with with ground like mud floors. And thatched roofs out in the campo, right? Out yeah, in the countryside. They, yeah, they're divided by communities because uh, Guamote is an indigenous town. So it has around... And when we say indigenous, we're talking about the Quichua. Yeah, the Quichua population. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have, well, there used to have like a hundred in something else more indigenous communities all over. A hundred different communities yeah. out in the hills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, but I know that there may be 2,000 people that live in Guamote. We actually went to the market there once, and mm-hmm. it was phenomenal to see, like, the live sheep, <laughs> like, tied up and then thrown on top of the bus. Yes. <laughs> the people got <laughs> in the bus, and the sheep rode on top of the bus. Yeah. And they were, like, really, like, thrown up their, like, luggage, and then yeah. all the other farm animals that were um, a part. Of, it's it's rural. It is rural, it is. rural Ecuador. It is. It has a small, like, orphan side of it. Or, but it's not a really urban, but they call it urban. The urban, <laughs> the urban, urban side, side of, of it. That's funny. That where the hospital is located, there's a clinic where I was serving, a uh, couple houses, and then the rest is just pretty much mountains and villages. Mm-hmm. So how many um, other nurses were assigned there? Uh, yeah, a couple of us. We were eight in total, eight nurses and seven doctors. And was it the first year for everybody? Was it a brand new staff or did you have leadership? Uh, the people that I just mentioned, Yes, it was the first time for us, but uh, there were around another five uh, doctors and one other nurse who worked there on a regular basis by contract. Mm-hmm. And so what did your life look like in the rural? Mm-hmm. It was uh, really interesting uh, getting uh, used to a new environment, even though, you know, it's the same country, uh, same language, uh, although Quichua is big Quichua, <laughs> a different language than I do. And in Guamote, at least 80% of the population speak Quichua, and Spanish is their second language. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to try to navigate into their culture because is um, I understand some of it, but there are still some, you know, like words and some um, actions that they do related to the culture that I didn't understand the why behind it. Like so, what? Uh, like, for example, you know, like the moms, um, they have this when they are pregnant, you know, like they believe a, that is important for them to put herbs, like different plants, uh-huh. you know, inside uh of the tummy, you know, like covered with blankets and like with what they call chalinas, which Uh is like a big blanket Uh uh, because they are wearing their typical costumes and they believe that it is a a way to protect the baby from the spirits. Mm. So like they would like have herbs on their stomach and then wrap up with blankets. And and when you were examining them or being available for an examination, like you'd have to take the herbs off and put them to the side and fold them up with the 
with mm-hmm. the rest of their clothes. Yeah, and some of them, some of them, not everybody, but yeah, that was one of the things uh, that I noticed. And a couple more stuff, like for example, you know how um, there were a lot of people, uh, including you know most of them men, that they will have to take, you know, like when they w- were going to work, they will have to bring uh, something that's called um, a cabresto. Which is um, like a how do you explain what that is? It's like a cabestro. It, it was it's made of leather. It's uh-huh. kind of like this long cord, uh-huh. uh, and they use that to um, when you're training a horse. Uh-huh. They use that to train the horse. So they whip the horse with to that. whip the horse. Yes, mm-hmm. or, or sometimes it's also used on cows. When you're training the cows to move them from one side to the other, uh-huh. like you you live in one little place and the cows are used to be around there but you take them somewhere else to eat uh-huh. so in order to train them and how to go from this place to, to drive this the place, cattle you use that so it's like a, a, a leather uh-huh. long cord that you use to whip Okay. Yeah, and they believe that they have to bring that around because it's a way to show, you know, like, who's the man of the house, who's in charge of, like, the animals and of the nature of, like, their Um, families and stuff. So they would come in with their cattle whips. Yeah, sometimes, you know, with machetes. It just depends on what kind of, like, people (laughs) would come in. authority? Authority. (laughs) As just an authority symbol, not that they, like, didn't want to lose it, but just as a a symbol of who they are. Yeah, because it's really much a culture as well. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, and you were just, I want to say, just doing normal nursing there. I was doing uh, nursing, yes, but nothing compared to the hospital because uh, here in this community is what you have to do the most is education and prevention of diseases. So a lot of people there uh, need to be educated uh, when it comes to health, when it comes to pregnant women. This town is known for being uh, number one in Ecuador for having a higher mortality risk uh, in pregnant moms and also newborns uh, and for different factors. They have the highest infant mortality in the country? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Gosh. And for different factors, but one of them is uh, they're uneducated people. They don't know the risks of being pregnant. Uh, they don't take their uh, supplements that they have to t- their prenatal care. They don't uh-huh. do prenatal care. They some of them they don't believe in doctors, so they don't go checked up. Uh, they're all this med- um um, lies that people have been telling about the healthcare system that, you know, like it's no good, that they kill your baby, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's also like the population who gets uh, more uh, pre- uh, teenager pregnancy mm-hmm. just because uh, sexuality is still a taboo. They don't talk about it. And they don't, part of the culture is also like not believing in, um, in, I forgot the word. Um, Anticonceptivos. Birth control. Uh, Birth control. Oh, my God. (laughs) I knew that one. Uh, But anyways, because it's a symbol of, once again, you know, like talking about the men of the house, uh, mm, as many more children as you can have, it represents of who's like, who's the one in charge, who's the one who's like their authority at home. Mm -hmm. And so they make their woman, you know, like to not take birth control so they can be like, they can have more children. And that puts them at risk and... 
of different different types of stuff. But I was in charge of doing a lot of prenatal care, uh, going to uh, people's homes, doing vaccinations uh, on kids. We were uh, promoting COVID vaccines as well, like trying to make sure that they had all their vaccines. Um, we did prenatal care. We did palliative care with some of the patients who uh, had cancer so from from other different diseases that mm-hmm. uh, they were, you know, stay, staying at home full time. Uh, I even got to vaccinate vaccinate cats and dogs. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did you go to vet yeah. school too? <laughs> no, but it's a it's a it's a mandatory role for a nurse in a rural community to make sure that all the dogs and cats are vaccinated. Oh, yeah. Did Did you get good at vaccinating dogs and cats? Yeah. I'll say vaccinated a couple. Yeah, definitely not a fun experience because it's, you know, like there are some dogs that are really um, feisty. Feisty, yeah, feisty dogs and fierce. Uh Wow. Okay, great. Um, (laughs) So in order to, you were there from January to December for a whole. For a whole year, yes. Of 2022. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel like something that God taught you during that time? Um, he taught me a lot. Uh, first, when it comes to me, I learned how to be more obedient, how to be more responsible, because I had to learn that, you know, by, by living by myself. Uh, and also being responsible of my actions of what I was doing, because one of the, you know, like the, the job of a nurse or any healthcare professional, you're working with people, you know, mm-hmm. so you have to be responsible of what you're doing. You have to know what you're doing and you have to remind yourself that you have to continue uh, educating yourself for the good of others, for mm-hmm. your own good and for the good of the patients as well. Uh, and also he taught me that uh Education is the key for a lot of things, and that also includes health. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for some people, you know, it's like so normal to understand what hypertension is, what diabetes is. But then for some people who haven't even heard about those diseases, starting by education and educating someone on their healthy habits and how they are, you know, like what you're, what they're eating, what they're doing, how does this affect your body? It's is the key to change the way that they view health and to make a, a change when you can actually change something. Mm-hmm. And that starts in the communities and that starts in this, uh, even in the neighborhoods, you know, in urban, urban places by educating people and by, uh, you know, just being the hands and feet of Jesus when you're helping them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he, he definitely taught me uh, the importance of health, but not just physical health, but holistic health as well. Because uh, uh, a lot of people sometimes just believe that health is just physical, you know, they have to give Tylenol and then that did and people are going to get fixed. Mm -hmm. But I got to encounter a couple of patients who uh, were struggling, uh, spiritually struggling and also mentally struggling. So there are other problems that go alongside with, you know, your physical health that also affect your whole being. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he taught me that the importance of uh, working with people is not just about medicine, but it's about a more complex, uh, you know, way of uh, trying to provide help and and education for others. Mm -hmm. 
Is there any particular uh, patient that you remember? Uh, the, yes, there is. There is one particular patient I remember. There are a lot, actually. But the one that I remember the most is her name was Maria, and she was n- not even that old uh, of a patient. She was 29 uh, years old. She was a mom of two, uh, and she had osteosarcoma which is like bone cancer, mm-hmm. um, and it was pretty advanced. She was in palliative care, you know, oh, wow. in her home. Uh, her husband had to uh, go to, as a, you know, immigrate to the States. Uh, she hadn't heard from him in the last year mm-hmm. because, you know, they go with coyotes, with like with these people that just... Human traffickers. Yeah, they just take you. Uh, you know, in the hope of a better future. So she stayed here. She's starting to feel, you know, like sick uh, a couple of uh, years ago, but she never really paid attention to all her sy- symptoms that she was having. Mm-hmm. And when she would go to the clinic, you know, to get treated, they will say it's nothing, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the meds. They didn't have the resources, you know, to help her. And sometimes even if they did, they didn't want to. And they believed that she was lying with all the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Eventually, the disease advanced, and when she could not tolerate the pain, she ended up going to another hospital in a bigger city. Uh, And in this uh, bigger hospital, first, they discriminated her for her culture, for the way that she dressed. And she she told me a couple of stories when she tried to avoid avoid hospitals because of the way that they will look at her, Mm. and they will make her feel less of a person. So when she finally got treated... Just because there's there's racism alive and well here in Ecuador, and there's racism towards the indigenous population. Mm -hmm. So at the end, when she finally got treated, it was too late. Obviously, they did some chemo. They put her on um, medicine and basically just morphine, you know, to help with the pain. Uh, And getting access to have these strong opioids is not really an option in these small towns. Mm -hmm. So sometimes um, me, the doctor who was treating her, and some of us working in the clinic, we had to find ways to find morphine to help her out with the pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since... um, in the, in the town that I was serving, we are divided by groups uh, that include doctors, nurses, and technicians, mm-hmm. and sometimes dentists and nutritionists as well. And we're a team uh, that go to people's homes. And so in this case for Maria, I was a nurse in charge mm-hmm. to go um, you know, to see her and stuff. And because she was in bed all the time she will have all these ulcers that are yeah yeah. because you know like you're in bed all all the time you need to have a special mattress which she didn't have access to uh and only her mother-in-law was the one taking her of her when she could uh but then the rest of the day she would just stay the day alone uh, and when I will go, and the first time I went, she was really shy. She didn't want to talk to anybody. She was like pretty, uh, you know, sad all the time, mm-hmm. mad. She was frustrated of life, and she's really young. Um, so, and slowly, I ended up gaining her trust. Uh, you know. Um, laughing, making jokes, and she was really talented. She will make bracelets, mm-hmm. you know, because the only thing that she could move were her hands because her, the rest of the body was hurting. Uh, so one day I asked her, like, oh, this is this is so great that you're making these bracelets. You're really talented. And I remember very clearly that, like, two weeks from that point on, um, 
since we talked, he made me a bracelet. Aww. And he asked me what my favorite color was, and I didn't know what it was for. But she uh, made me a bracelet, and, you know, her dream, she shared her dreams for me. She knew that she was going to pass. Uh, and her little boy, who's two years old, she just wanted him to receive a better education and to mm-hmm. get out of there, you know, to come to the city to have a better future. And he, she hoped for him to never have to go through that again mm-hmm. and hopefully become a doctor one day, become something that wow. can change people's lives. She ended up passing, unfortunately. Uh, but that was definitely something that impacted my life and that made me think of uh, how many other Marias are out there who really need to get checked up sometimes mm-hmm. and uh, because they don't have the money, they don't have the insurance, and they're living in these small communities, they don't have access to go to to a doctor, to a physician who can really treat them. Mm-hmm. And it's something that could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Well, Brenda, we're so proud of you just in general. And we're so thankful that we get to be, continue to get to be a part of your story. And all of this episode was just the catch up. Yep. It was just the <laughs> to get us up to speed on what it is um, that you've been doing. Because since you've come back from your rural, some of our listeners will know because they are supporting you as a missionary here, yeah. um, your new missionary endeavor. And we're going to come back with our next episode with that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you would like to be a part of Education Equals Hope, please go to the website. We'd love for you to hit the button that talks about which country and drop down country Ecuador and hit the Donate Now button there. Of course, you can always hit Donate Now uh, and it can go to the general support to all of our ministries all around the world. Thank you, Brenda. We love you and we look forward to our next episode. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to our Hopecast. If you want to join the mission or know more about it, please visit our webpage, www.educationequalshope.org, or check our YouTube channel and Instagram with the same name.